Christ is risen. Christ is risen indeed. <laughs> what? What? You know it's still Easter, right? You know that this is the second Sunday of the season of Easter, which extends from Easter Sunday all the way until the day of Pentecost. Can we try that again? Yes. Christ is risen. Christ is risen indeed. Christ is risen. Christ is risen indeed. Christ is risen. Christ is risen indeed. Yes, he is. You may have a seat this morning. Christ is indeed risen from the dead. You know, it's interesting. The 845 service, I caught them totally off guard. Some of you might have had a sneaking suspicion that that was coming. Caught them totally off guard. And it was a, a good two and a half second pause before anybody said Christ is risen indeed. It was really, really interesting. You know, we like to leave Easter on Easter, don't we? Think about the resurrection on Easter Sunday, celebrate it, and let's get back to doing church the way that we've always done church. All those guests are out of the way. The problem is that Easter is Easter. You can't go back to the way things used to be. The disciples knew this, and they were scared. They were very scared because of Easter. Early in the morning, Mary and the women had gone to the tomb to prepare Jesus' body for burial. They get there. The stone is rolled away and they look inside and there is no body. One group of women runs away scared. And Mary, according to John's gospel, is left in the garden weeping, crying when she looks around and sees the gardener and says to him, If you've taken his body, tell me where you've put it. Then Jesus speaks her name and says, Mary, her eyes are open. She sees the resurrected Christ and she runs back to tell the disciples. Peter and John come running to the temple, to the temple, to the tomb themselves to see what the women have told them. And indeed, the tomb is empty and Christ is risen and they are amazed. Yet the very next scene we see in the Gospel of John is not joy and celebration at the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It is the disciples shuttered inside of a room with the doors barred and the windows covered for fear of what might happen to them next. These guys were scared. And I'm sure there was this nervous quietness. You ever have a nervous quietness in a room? Where you're waiting, you're anticipating something to happen, and there's this nervous tension inside of the room that sort of weighs heavily on everybody's spirit. To be sure, this was not a day of rejoicing for the disciples, but a day of fear. And in the midst of this group's worry, in the midst of their doubts about the story of the resurrection and their fear of what the Jews might do to them, something miraculous happens. Jesus shows up. Now, if you've been following along in John's gospel or in any other gospel, whenever things look grimmest, whenever things look like they're about to fall apart, whenever the waves on the ocean or on the sea are about to overturn the boat, those are the moments when Jesus makes his presence known and speaks a message of peace. So here they are, the disciples, once again, shuttered up in a room for fear. And Jesus appears among them saying what he's always said from the beginning, peace, peace. 
peace be with you. Now, that's a strange thing to say. How are these guys going to have peace if they're running from the law, if they're running from the religious and civil authorities? But like always, Jesus doesn't just come into a situation and say a nice word and then disappear. Jesus comes bringing a message of hope and a message of empowerment. Jesus not only says, peace be with you, but he says, as the father has sent me, so I am sending you. Receive now the Holy Spirit, this guiding presence, this inner strength, this empowering spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. Jesus shows up and he gives the disciples the courage and the empowerment they need to begin caring for Jesus' mission in the world. And that's all nice except for one thing. Thomas isn't there. Don't you love that about the story? That Thomas is just absent from the scene. I mean, all of the other disciples are gathered up in the room for fear of the Jews. Where in the world is Thomas? What's Thomas doing? Was he tired of hiding and went out into the market to stretch his legs? Did he need to go get some goat's milk? So he went down and got him something nice and refreshing to drink. Was he hungry? Was he running down to the local Zaxby's to pick up some chicken so he could bring back to the rest of the disciples? Where in the world is Thomas? He's not there. The truth is the text doesn't say so we don't know. So feel free to speculate. And Thomas, since he wasn't there, and since he didn't see Jesus, since he didn't get the opportunity to put his nail, his fingers in Jesus' nail-scarred hands and didn't get to put his hands in the side of Christ, Thomas does what many of us do when we hear something incredible or something unbelievable. He refuses to believe. He refuses to believe the story that these disciples have told him. Now, don't write off Thomas too quickly here as a skeptic or a doubter, as history has so often done. Remember, the only people who witness Jesus' return are a group of fishermen. And I'm sure Thomas has heard more than one fish story from his disciple friends. And I have to admit that I'd be a little skeptical of a report of an empty tomb and a dead man who is not just walking and talking, but breathing and made an appearance in the room from a group of people who, on more than one occasion, tended to stretch the length of a fish or the amount of a catch. But Thomas, he isn't just doubting the story of the resurrection of Will. He's doubting a lot. In fact, Thomas tells his friends, unless I get to do what you did, Unless I myself get to put my fingers in his hands and my hands in his side, then I will not believe. Thomas doesn't just want to see Jesus walking around in a room or talking with friends. Thomas wants to actually touch the wounded side of his teacher again. And while that's a little, well, let's face it, while that's really kind of gross... It speaks to what Thomas really wants. Thomas wants to see the real Jesus. He needs to see him in order to believe. Thomas wants to see the real Jesus and he needs to see him and touch him and feel his presence. 
in order to believe. You know, sometimes we need to see in order to believe. Sometimes you have to witness and experience things for yourself before you can believe in them. That doesn't make you a doubter. That makes you human. We all have this innate skepticism inside of us. Don't, aren't you skeptical of some things that you just can't believe to be true until you see them? We all have this innate skepticism inside of us. You know, when I first got to Pittman Park, um, I got to take a tour. In the April before we came here, um, we got to take a tour of the building. It was really amazing. We walked in and... Um, you know, the hallways were that gray color and the floors were purple or blue. When you walk down the hallway, you remember how the church used to look. Um, and so we walked through and it was amazing. Uh, I loved our church. Um, even from that first visit, I walked in and we saw all the Sunday school classes and that was great. We walked over to the fellowship hall and saw the fellowship hall. And um, Tim told me this is where the borough happens and told me all that that involved. And I was super excited about that. And he brought me back over here to the, the sanctuary and he said, this is where we do traditional worship. And I said, I, I could have guessed that. Um, <laughs> I've been here before for this. Um, and then we went back to the office and he showed me my, my, my office. He said, this is your office and this is my office next door. And I said, that's great. And then as we were walking out past Wendy's desk, do you remember Wendy's desk? How Wendy's desk used to look? It was like a fortress. If you want to see Wendy's desk, it's what we serve coffee out of now um, <laughs> over in the fellowship hall. We repurpose everything here. It's amazing to actually have done that. But um, we, we do that. It was like a fortress, right? Like Wendy could hide inside of the desk and pop up when visitors came in. Um, <laughs> like a rampart or something. I don't know. Um, but as we were walking out past that fortress of a desk, over on the right-hand side, there were these... These blueprints, these old, old sketches, not old, old, but old looking sketches and renderings with notes written down the side about colors and finishes and little pieces of fabric. You know, whenever you do a blueprint, sometimes people stick fabric to that stuff. Um, and so there was little pieces of fabric and colored chips stuck to it. And so I looked and I asked and said, what in the world, what's that? Oh, that's, that's our renovation. That's our, that's our big renovation plan. And then... The person who was touring me, touring me at that point said, I'll believe, I'll believe it when we see it. I'll believe that we're going to renovate whenever the contractors and the architects finally get together and people start swinging hammers around here. That's when I'll believe that it happens and not much more than a year and a half later, guess what happened? Trucks rolled up and renovations began to happen. Sometimes you have to see in order to believe Sometimes we all have to see in order to believe. That's where Thomas was. Thomas, again, he doesn't want an imposter Jesus. He wants to see the real thing. And that's what the world wants. But sometimes we have to see before we can believe. The world wants to see Jesus. Well, how will they see him? They'll see him through you. They'll see him through me. They'll see him through the acts that we do together as a church. And the world, believe me, wants the real thing. They want the real Jesus, not the Jesus that's dressed up nice for church or the Jesus that has our same political leanings or, or rich white Jesus. They want the real Jesus. The world doesn't want church and the world doesn't want religion. What they want is Jesus. And the world is waiting for people like you and me to show them the real Savior. The real Christ. 
So the world waits like Thomas waits. Sometimes patiently. Sometimes impatiently. Sometimes with hope and sometimes with doubt. But a week later, as the story goes, the disciples are gathered eight days later, actually. And they're doing their normal disciple thing, hanging out in the room with the doors barred and the windows covered for fear of the Jews. When Jesus shows up and he tells Thomas to do just what he had asked for, to put his fingers in the nail holes and his hands in his side. And as Thomas does this, he's so overtaken by the presence and power of the resurrected Savior that all he can do is fall to his knees and utter, my Lord and my God, the one who was the hardest to convince, the one who was voted most likely to fail as a disciple by the disciples, makes this astonishing claim, the most astonishing claim of all about Christ. The very same claim that John opens his gospel with, that this Jesus is more than just a teacher, is more than just a man, but is the very living word of God in the flesh living among us. Sometimes you have to see to believe. Thomas needed to see. So that he could believe. But I've got to tell you this morning that sometimes the inverse is true as well. Sometimes you have to believe before you can see. I think Thomas believed even though he hadn't seen. And it was his belief that allowed him to see and experience the resurrected Christ in his fullness. Sometimes, though, you have to believe before you see. Think about the renovation project here at our church. Some of you believed long before you ever saw 14 confirmands standing to join our church and three more baptisms happening in the borough this Sunday. Some of you believed long before you saw the fruits of what your work would do and God's work among us to do. We had to believe before we could see. We had to trust that if we took the steps to improve the environments for our children and for our youth, that something incredible really would happen. And it is happening because we believe before we saw and we trusted God on faith that he is good and that he would lead us forward. If we had never believed, we never would have seen. We never would have taken that first step toward realizing the future and the hope and the plans that God has for us and for our church. We had to believe before we could see. You know what that's called whenever you believe before you see, choir? Believing before you see? That's called faith. It's called faith. The author of Hebrews puts it this way. He says, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. The conviction of what? The conviction of the reality of things not seen. And this is the reason that John writes his gospel. That you and I, who haven't seen, may believe 
That we may have our lives and our world changed by the presence of God. Believing without seeing and believing so that we can see and experience the fullness of God's presence and God's power in our lives, in our church, in our community, and in our world. Sometimes you have to see to believe. But we are called to believe. That we might see the richness and the goodness and the glory and power of God made real in us and around us. May we be those who continue to believe even as we see. Let us pray. Lord, we offer our lives to you. Trusting. That the stories we read in Scripture are much more than just stories. But are the truth about the world in which we live. We believe, Lord, that you are God of all. We believe in your Son, Jesus Christ, who died and rose from the dead. That we might have life in and through him. And Lord, it's to him that we offer our lives That we offer our gifts and our passions. It's to you, Lord, that we offer all that we are and all that we have. So God, help us, even in these moments, to have faith. Faith enough to trust you with our next step. Faith enough to trust you with our brokenness. With our doubt. With our fear. With our pain. Faith enough to know. That your kingdom is coming. And that with it will be the redemption of all things. God be with us. As we continue to trust you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.